Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, you can be an idiot or an asshole, but you can't be both unless you host this show. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It is, uh, let's see, the show's going out on Tuesday, October 10th, the middle of October. How I love it. Pumpkin spice season. Oh, God. Really? Anyway. Um, all right, on tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, I'm going to review Pumpkin Spice. No, 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 no. I'm going to uh, do a review of McClellan's 5100, as requested. Uh, then my guest is Paul Bender. Paul's from the uh, Chicago Pipe Club in the Chicago area, and he's got, uh, he's, Paul's uh, not only a great guy, but uh, got some interesting uh, collections, and uh, you'll hear that coming up. Uh, music from a show listener in Sweden. That's kind of fun. And he's a pipe smoker, so that works out even better. Uh, mailbag and rant, all that coming up in this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are listening to enjoy this fine adult-only uh, radio show that talks about, ooh, you know, like really erotic things, you know, like... Um, pipes and um ooh tobaccos all different kinds of tobaccos including virginia tobaccos yeah there yeah, all right just remember you got to be old enough okay um while uh, coming up this weekend on saturday the 14th saturday the 14th at noon eastern time noon midday eastern time i'll do another facebook live it'll be uh on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. And uh, I'm doing it over there to see if uh, see if I can um, get uh, fewer family members and friends poking their noses in there and get just us pipe guys around. So, the, so go to Facebook, like the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook, and we'll do that at noon Eastern Time. Saturday, October 14th. So for those of you in England or Europe, that's uh, 5 p.m., 6 p.m. So hopefully we got you right before uh, right before dinner. All right? All right, everybody, grab your pipes, sit back, relax, fire up a ball. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. McClellan's 5100, or uh, known as Red Cake, was uh, suggested by longtime listener Rondi Reeves. So here it goes. And I was going to originally lump this in with uh, McClellan's 2015, which he also requested. But I thought, you know what, that's, that's just not fair to the 5100, or Red Cake, that uh, a lot of people have smoked and loved. Uh, for those of you in Europe, this is a bulk tobacco. It's only available by the ounce or by the pound. And uh, you can find it in just about any of the online stores or uh, a lot of brick and mortar sell it. A lot of them sell it under some other name or use it as a uh, as part of something else. But anyway, here's how, here's how it's described on tobaccoreviews.com. 
this blend is a style of English Virginia that has seldom been seen in the United States. A sweet, exceptionally soft, fully rubbed, matured cake. Now, I think that that first line in there, that's, or that first part that says style of English Virginia is confusing. All right, It's a pure Virginia. It's not an English blend. So there's no Latakia in it. So don't go looking for it. Uh, the way I would describe this is as a unique Virginia that is a Virginia purely and has no uh, no other toppings or casings to it. Uh, it's slightly different than what we would find coming out of Europe where I think there's only two Virginias that I know of that are not that are just not cased with anything or have no additives on it. But anyway, so just consider it a, it's a unique Virginia. Um, I do know that in the process of making it, McClellan presses it into cakes, allows the cakes to age, and then comes back around and cuts it. Now, why do they cut it up? Well, this is, it's red cake. And it's really, if you want to think of it as a cake, this is the cake. It's the actual, uh, it's the actual cake part of a cake. This is what they use in a lot of their blends, a lot of, uh, a lot, this is the base of a lot of their Virginia-style blends. Uh, this is the Virginia that they use in a lot of their English blends, too. So they press it into cakes, and then they thrash it out, all right? Now, when you get it, you'll get it in a pouch, just like I did, and you'll notice that it's broken up smaller than what you would think of, like a, uh, yeah, smaller than what you would think of a, of a finished blend. Uh, going back to uh, the Dunhill Ye old sign that we did, um, yeah, it had very long pieces in it. This has a mixture of some medium length pieces and a bunch of smaller pieces. Uh, it's again, it's intended really to be, in my opinion, used further on in a blend as the base component or the cake of a blend when then you put the icing on top and the frosting and all the decorations but this is the this is the cake part of it um it really has just a real tobacco aroma and then of course there's that what some people call the mcclellan ketchup um i'll be honest with you it's been a long time since i've smoked red cake straight or 5100 straight it's been a long time since I've smoked 5100 that I have just recently bought. I mean, I ordered this from smokingpipes.com about uh, four weeks ago. So it's been sitting in a Ziploc bag now for four weeks. Um, so this was fresh out of the bag. Now, the first thing that I did notice was that it was moist. Uh, it had a level of moisture to it that... Obviously, I'm not kind of not accustomed to because it is brand new. Uh, it made packing it where I had to be a little more sensitive to it because if you overpack a very wet blend, you're going to get a bubbling, tongue-biting hot mess. Uh, so I packed it lightly. Smoking it, I picked up the traditional sweetness of the of the Virginia leaf, the high the the sugar content coming out of the natural leaf, not any other artificial flavors. But I did get a little bit of that, a little bit of that spiciness that kind of attributes itself to that ketchup taste. Um, 
what I did notice about it, because it was wet, it did smoke, it smoked evenly, and contrary to one of the reviews that I'm going to read you, I found that it smoked evenly, needed a few relights, and of course I used my pipe cleaner in between, but it smoked evenly and thoroughly down. Uh, tried it in three or four different size pipes. If you go too small with it while it's still young and wet, it will get hot and bitey. If you go too big with it, because in my, from my side of it and my feelings, if you go too big with in a, too big of a pipe in just a straight Virginia, uh, the flavors start to wash out. Uh, the intensity starts to wash out. So I found a young and moist. Uh, 5100 worked best in a traditional group three and a half to group four size bowl. If you went too big, got too watered down. Went too small, it got too hot. Now, of course, you could you know let it dry down and let it age a little bit and uh, see what happens. Uh, I'll I'll compare it to a tin of mccraney's red ribbon that i recently opened up and smoked over the last month or so and say that uh it didn't quite have the spice of the red ribbon it didn't quite have the fully developed flavor of the red ribbon now unfair because that tin of red ribbon was canned about uh eight years ago so a <laughs> little unfair to it um Anyway, it can be smoked all day long once you learn how to get the moisture level correct for you and learn the right packing technique for you. It can be smoked all all day long. I would imagine that loosely packed in a glass jar uh, and aged in just a you know just a room temperature dark spot for six months to a year probably does wonders for it. Uh, just gives it just gives it some wonderful time to, to mellow out and. Uh, Probably lets those sugars develop and the spiciness back down, and some of that moisture will get eaten up in there. All right, now a couple of the reviews. Uh, let's go to the negative review, and this goes back to 2006. And uh, this is going to be uh, this is on uh, TobaccoReviews.com, and it's a guy named Hair Dog, and he writes, "I just can't hang with the whole ketchup thing. I don't want my tobacco to smell like a corn dog minus the corn dog, and leaving just stick and ketchup." The flavor was adequate once it started burning. I used most of the two ounces I had purchased in bulk to mix in a uh, mix in with a locally blended heavy Latakia blend from Cascade Cigar in Portland, Oregon, uh, mainly to hide the smell. I didn't find the red cake very interesting by itself. All condiments aside, the real benefit is the stuff is cheap and it's not awful. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, as far as bulks go, it's not as cheap as one would think. Uh, now, the positive review goes back to 2005, and I like a couple of things that this person said in here. Uh, and the reviewer is Anchkema, A-N-C-H-K-E-M-A. And they write, I wouldn't be content if I didn't have a few uh, ball jars of McClellan 5100 red cake snugly aging, aging down in the dark, cool pipeweed corner of the basement. I like the way. I like that pipeweed corner of the basement. Uh, as an inexpensive bulk with a little aging on it, 5100 compares favorably, favorably to Rattray's Howl of the Wind. The aroma of 5100 out of the ball jar and in the room is delightful. Smoked properly, it delivers a hearty mouthful of taste with no bite. The first third or so of the bowl is mild and sweet. 
Later, the smoke becomes heavier, retains sweetness, and becomes a tad harsher, but not all that unpleasant. 5100 leaves a sweet, a sweet taste in the pipe bowl, allowing the piper the option of a taste treat by following it with the occasional bowl of a Latakia mixture. Uh, that said, 5100 has a few idiosyncrasies, of which new and seasoned puffers should be mindful. As a rubbed-out flake, 5100 visually appears as an attractive heap of small bits of high-quality leaf ranging from gold to dark brown. It also has a humectant that retains moisture even after several years of aging. To me, this is fair warning of a tobacco that requires a light hand in packing, several matches to get burning properly, and vigilance to keep burning. I can't recall ever smoking a bowl of 5100 through to the bottom without relight. For me, getting optimum taste from 5100 requires 15-minute smokes, allowing the smolder to expire, light tamping, putting the pipe aside to cool for 10 minutes, and then repeating. Now, this is me, and I did try that, and it did work. It, it Of course, anytime you you know do a charring light, light a pipe, get it going for five minutes, and let it sit down and cool off and go completely dormant, the tobacco kind of opens up and warms up. Uh, but anyway, he says, a small price to pay, I'd say, for a great and, in comparison, inexpensive pipe weed. Using the uneducated thumb method to cram as much 5100 into the bowl as possible, lighting up with one of those awful pipe torches and stubbornly, <laughs> stubbornly huffing when the smolder begins to expire will inevitably lead to gurgles and wrong-headed exclamations about Virginia's tendency to nip or worse. Uh, but with a skillful touch and a little patience, such unpleasantness is easily avoided, and the smoker will count himself fortunate and wise to have put away an ample store of this excellent and affordable Virginia. So, there you go. McClellan's 5100, uh, definitely worth aging. For for me, it's just a little too simple in flavor. Um uh, I just couldn't pick up, you know, I, I need more, I need more, uh, bolder flavors, more, uh, ra- you know, more variation of flavors, but all right. In just a minute, Paul Bender. This is internet radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining us is... Uh, Paul, I'm just going to describe you as an old dear friend, and uh, maybe that's <laughs> old comma dear friend. Um, but Paul Bender from the uh, from the greater Chicagoland area and a officer and member of the Chicagoland Pipe Collectors Club and a collector of other things besides pipes. But Paul, welcome to the show. 
Uh, thank you very much, uh, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me uh, on uh, your uh, podcast. And uh, how are you today? Oh, you know, I'm I'm excited to have you on because I gosh, I guess the first time I met you uh, was uh, 17, 18 years ago. I had a full head of hair, and you didn't. Uh, but not much as. <laughs> Well, I don't think that much has changed, has it? Well, one of us has changed a little bit, but uh, <laughs> uh, when did let, let's go let's go back. When did you first pick up a pipe? Well, this goes back uh, to uh, the uh, early 1960s uh, when I got to college. I hadn't smoked um, in high school, and uh, in any case, got to college. And I fell in with some evil companions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met the several fellows uh, who were pipe smokers, uh, young guys such as myself at the time. And uh, they were uh, avid pipe smokers, and uh, I just, you know, it, it sort of kind of appealed to me. And I picked up the hobby, and it's been a uh, runaway express train ever since. What uh, what brand of pipes was your first love? Well, actually, that's sort of kind of strange. Um, I uh, there were a couple of pipe shops in downtown Chicago where I was going to school at Roosevelt University. Uh, one of them was uh, Ewan Reese, uh, which is uh, still in business, and uh, the other one uh, was uh, a um, let's see, privately owned uh, shop. And uh, in any case, uh, they've uh, since uh, gone the way of uh, so many other enterprises. But in any case, there were two places there in Chicago. And I would, um, I, th I think they, uh, the first brand of pipe that I smoked uh, that is, uh, would be well known would be a Savinelli. Uh, because uh, Iwan Reese uh, was uh, big on uh, Savinelli pipes. I believe they still are. And they put out a whole line of Savinelli's under their own name, but it had the Savinelli logo on it. And uh, so the, uh, the first, uh, shall we say, uh, notable pipes that I took up with uh, were Savinelli's. Uh, subsequently, uh, I graduated college, uh, went to work, and um, one day at uh, the office, uh, this uh, one uh, fellow uh, said, oh, you're a pipe smoker. And I said, yes, I am. And uh, he said, have you ever tried a Sheraton? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> and he waxed rhapsodic about uh, how uh, great the Sheratons are, and okay, fine, all well and good. And then um, later that year, I wound up uh, on vacation in uh, California. And the, uh, I think I was in the, in the L.A. area and um, stopped into a uh, pipe shop there. And I, by golly, they had Sheratons. And I remembered what this fellow at the office had told me. And um, my first uh, pipe was a uh, authentic brand that was their, their the, the level Sheraton had various levels of uh, pipes, uh, Belvedere, uh, Perfection, Authentic, and the higher you went, the more expensive the pipe was because the finer the grain was. But this is was one of their medium or lower end pipes, still gorgeous. Uh, it was a skater. It is a skater. I still have it, of course. And uh, it was a shape that was unique to Sheraton at the time. And uh, in any case, I uh, bought it. It was, was rather pricey, if I recall properly. This is, once again, uh, the uh, late 60s, and it was $70 retail. Wow. And um, I purchased it, uh, took it home, uh, smoked it, uh, still do. And uh, from then on, I was sort of kind of hooked. <laughs> sort of kind of hooked for you means um, how many Sheratons did you have in your collection at the peak of your Sheraton collection? 
Well, um, basically, I don't want to throw uh, numbers around. Uh, my collection is large, uh, not anywhere near as large as other fellows I know in the hobby, but several hundred pipes, and let's say that 75% of them are Sheridans. And <laughs> um, I've, got, I've, I've got some Dunhills. I generally prefer English pipes, or at least I did uh, for, for most of my time. But I've got, you know, once again, a number of Dunhills and um, uh, some very, very nice uh, Danish uh, pipes from uh, Danish carvers. But I find it rather interesting um, over the last several years attending the Chicago show, uh, the pipe show that uh, my club uh, puts on, uh, plus uh, the one uh, in uh, Vegas coming up in November and several other shows that I've gone to uh, throughout the Midwest, um, you meet uh, pipe carvers. And I've uh, become friends with uh, several uh, American carvers, and it's sort of kind of cool sitting down, picking up a pipe, lighting it up, and the fact that you personally know the individual who carved the pipe, uh, as opposed yeah. to a, even you know, a Sheridan or a Dunhill, uh, unless you're you know, extremely fortunate. I'll tell you a story about that. But uh, and, and it, it, odds are you're not going to know who the carver was. But in the case of um, a, uh, uh, an individual carver that you've known and met, and uh, you have uh, his or her pipes, and uh, that's sort of kind of cool. Let me relate just one particular story that stands out. Yeah, uh, this is about maybe, I beg your pardon? I said, yeah, please. <laughs> okay. I, I tend to ramble on at times, and I do apologize. But um, this was approximately perhaps 10 years ago at the Chicago show, and I had a table at the time uh, all the way in the back of the room, and uh, I have uh, had a, a box, a glass-top uh, case, uh, under lock and key, uh, with uh, about uh, 10 of my prized Sheridans. And uh, I'm standing there, and I've got a, a little name tag in front of the case, and I'm wearing a identity tag on my shirt. And these uh, two gentlemen walk over, and uh, they just pay no attention to me whatsoever, and they're just pointing to the, uh, bo- the, 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 the display case of Sheridans, and they're sort of, you know, talking to each other and pointing, and I'm waiting for them to talk to me, and then just after a couple of minutes, they just turn on their heel and walk away. And I thought to myself, well, how... How totally uh, unfriendly is that? And then one of uh, the club members, one of my buddies, came over and said, Paul, do you know who that that was? And one of the guys was Barry Jones, and he was the chief carver for Sheridan uh, before they were bought out uh, by uh, Dunhill and subsequently vanished from the market. Uh, but uh, he was a uh, one of their chief carver, and he and my my friend went on to say he just indicated to me that pointing to a very very one of my first Sheridans, one of very very large uh, freehand uh, that he remembered he personally carved that pipe. So I immediately uh, unlocked the case, grabbed the pipe, and went uh, running over to him, you know, waving the pipe. uh, And, you know, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, I understand uh, that uh, you carved this pipe. And uh, we we, we conversed pleasantly for the next uh, hour, hour and a half. And uh, so now at least I've got one Sheridan that I know was personally carved by Barry Jones, and I just thought that was just the coolest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when did you join the Chicago Pipe Club? This would be, oh golly, uh, (laughs) uh, at uh, my age, uh, memory fails, but um, this was in the uh, early uh, 1990s, Um, 93, maybe 94, somewhere around there. 
Um, there was the annual Chicago Pipe Smoking Contest that uh, was sponsored by the Up Down Shop in uh, Chicago on Wells Street in Old Town. They're still there. Um, it's basically, I, I go there at least once a month. I meet friends there on a Friday evening, and uh, we uh, go out to dinner, uh, pick up a bottle of our favorite beverage, take it back to the shop, and uh, we uh, hang out there for most of the evening, um, drinking moderately and smoking. And there's dozens of other people in the store, and also pipe smokers. And so, needless to say, there's all this conviviality and uh, friendship going around. Uh, but uh, I first walked into the up-down in 1977. And um, in any case, uh, the uh, lady, God rest her soul, Diana uh, Sylvius Gitz, who um, started the uh, shop, a uh, fantastic person and just uh, a, a, a lovely woman, a very good friend. And uh, everybody who knows her misses her terribly since her passing a couple of years ago. But the fact is the shop is still there. And um, that's uh, basically uh, where I um, used to uh, hang out and uh, still do. And what, what, what the lady did was that every year at a local restaurant down the street uh, from the shop, um, we would take over the second floor banquet room and we would have the Chicago pipe smoking contest. And we'd get a measured amount of tobacco, 3.3 grams, and um, everybody would uh, bring their own pipe. And uh, but you, everybody had the same amount of tobacco. We got two matches, and uh, you were given um, a minute or so to um, uh, use one or both. And this is the same procedure that the United Pipe Clubs of America uh, uses today for their national and interna international contests. And uh, everybody, basically, they, they give you a pipe. Well, you, you pay a fee, but you get a very, very nice pipe. Everybody gets the same pipe and the same measured amount of tobacco in the two matches. You've got one minute uh, to uh, use one or both matches, and then you're on your own. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's uh, what we did there, and uh, that's um, how uh, that uh, started. And I met uh, a couple of uh, people there, guys from the uh, CPCC. And um, over the years, uh, they said, gee, you know, why don't you start, you know, coming to our meetings and join the club and because you're an avid pipe smoker. And eventually I did. And uh, that's how that got started. What was the name of the pipe club at, uh, at Up Downs? <laughs> well, we... <laughs> I... I, I didn't know you were going to ask that, but, oh, well, of course. Uh, in any case, um, we didn't really have a name until, uh, I'm not trying to brag, but uh, I said, you know, we, we, we ought to be able to identify ourselves. And uh, I think one of the guys said, oh, well, just a couple of, you know, SOBs who like to smoke pipes. And I said, and that's it. I said, we are the up-down SOBs. The Sons of Briar. <laughs> and it's And so basically, uh, that um, I think and I, that, that, that happened, that, that came out even before I joined the CPCC. And so uh, we would advertise the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the contest sponsored by the Up Down Shop. Uh, we would uh, say, um, we would you know, say that this is sponsored by the Up Down Sons of Briar Pipe Smoking Club. And, and, and of course, everybody picked that up and they would refer to us as the SOBs. And uh, we, uh, the few of us that are, that are still there and that, that, that come to the shop on a regular basis from the old group, uh, we're, we still refer to ourselves as the SOBs. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, Sheraton Pipes, um, Swords. 
and uh, and how much I love your wife. So we'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Paul Bender. And Paul, what is your, uh, what's your exact position with the club and the show right now? Well, um, right now, this year, I'm the secretary treasurer of the club. That's because nobody else wants to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I've been um, uh, the um, uh, treasurer for uh, several years now, and uh, now i am also uh, got the uh, position of secretary. Um, um, last year, I was the president of the club uh, for uh, that year, and then about maybe 15, 16 years before that, for one year, I was the president. But in any case, now, once again, I'm uh, simply the secretary treasurer, and uh, I'm uh, the, uh, uh, a, uh, the basically the, the what I'm called the assistant uh, show director. Craig Cobine is the uh, show director. He does a fantastic job of organizing the show and putting everything together. And um, I help out uh, with a few things when I can. Uh, we have a number of uh, members uh, in the uh, from the club uh, who uh, volunteer every year, and uh, they, uh, you know, basically have various jobs and duties and the things that they do to keep the um, uh, two-day affair running uh, properly. Um, <laughs> We really couldn't do it without the help of our members. We appreciate uh, those guys who chip in. But technically, I'm the uh, assistant show director. And uh, many of the attendees to the show would have met your wife, Sue, who uh, staffs the uh, <laughs> the front door. And I I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's fair to say that she staffs the front door with a firm hand that has a silk glove on. <laughs> Well, quite frankly, um, I consider her to be uh, absolutely pivotal uh, for the show, and quite seriously, as so do um, uh, most of the uh, officers and the members. Um, my wife um, sits at the uh, front table and basically collects the money from the attendees. It's um, $15 to get into the show for both days, Saturday and Sunday, and you get a ticket. And you have to show it uh, at the security guard at the door to get in. And uh, in any case, um, she uh, basically sits there all day long, Saturday and uh, Sunday, um, you know, selling the tickets, collecting the money, giving out information. And also what she does is that uh, Friday before the show, uh, we have uh, the um, welcoming uh, table. Uh, that's where people, exhibitors, check in. 
uh, to uh, pick up their exhibitor packets and uh, get their table assignments. And they also have to uh, pay any balance that they owe for the uh, the tables at the show. And um, then other people can uh, come there to uh, pick up uh, their uh, tickets for the Saturday night dinner if they're uh, going to uh, attend our our Saturday, uh, we do this every Saturday night at the show. We have a big formal dinner, and uh, that's where we give out the Doctor of Pipes Awards. But in any case, she supervises the uh, welcoming table and the uh, table at the show for the two days. And quite frankly, uh, without um, uh, her uh, doing these uh, two jobs, <laughs> we wouldn't have a show. Uh, God bless her. She's uh, wonderful at that, and uh, we um, all appreciate everything she does. And um, she smokes all of perhaps three cigarettes a day. So technically she is a smoker, but she's never gotten into the pipe-smoking habit, although Lord knows I'd be condescending to loan her maybe <laughs> one or two of my pipes, but uh, she's she's never asked to do that. Yeah, let's go back to your pipes and go back to... Uh... Uh, go back to Sheraton's, and if somebody's interested in getting one moderately priced estate Sheraton for their collection, is there a shape that you think is more quintessential Sheraton? Is there a finish? Uh, where would you guide them? Well, actually, um, no, I don't think there's... Um, well, there, there, there is one shape, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the, the skater. Uh, this was original with uh, Sheridan. Other, I've noticed other uh, pipe uh, 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 brands have uh, taken that shape in one you know, basic permutation of another over the years. But uh, it's uh, basically a, um, how to describe it, a um, uh, sort of a concave um, billiard that slants inwards, but the foot of the pipe uh, basically comes to a point. So somewhat like uh, the front of an ice skate. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is apparently why they call it a skater. But uh, I, I would think this is their most recognizable shape. But uh, quite frankly, um, it, it's, it's a matter of personal taste. Um, I would say for anybody starting out, I prefer large pipes myself. Uh, but I've got a number of the you know medium-sized uh, pipes, and it's just a matter of uh, picking out uh, a, uh, a size and a shape that appeals to you at a price range that's <laughs> reasonable, uh, and um, just you know sitting down with um, decent tobacco. Of course, that's a matter of opinion, but you know once again whatever you like. Most uh, people when they first start the hobby, they start with an aromatic. Uh, so did I. Uh, but um, eventually, if you really get into it, um, you eventually go to non-aromatic tobaccos. These are blends of different types of tobaccos, and you get uh, basically um, a greater flavor range. You get a bit, a bit more depth and complexity uh, with a non-aromatic blend. But once again, you smoke what you like. But um, I would simply say uh, get a um, moderate-sized pipe, whatever shape appeals to you, and um, see what you think. Um, I... Once again, got you might want to say hooked on Sheraton's because of the shapes. Um, they they make larger pipes uh, than uh, most manufacturers. Well, I should say they did when they were in business. 
Um, they made larger pipes, and uh, the uh, shapes varied tremendously and uh, caught my eye, caught my imagination. There's the old uh, story that uh, the uh, pipe carvers would go out for a three or four pint lunch <laughs> <laughs> and then come back and get very imaginative in the, the uh, shapes. But uh, that, once again, may be apocryphal, but um, interestingly enough, uh, some years ago at the show, one of uh, the members comes up to me and says, would you come to my room and take a look at the, some Sheratons I have? This fellow wants to sell me a collection of Sheratons, and I'd like your opinion on them. Well, <laughs> not that this fellow doesn't know anything about pipes, but I was, I was, I was flattered. Okay, fine. So I, I walk into his room, and there is a tray of about 24 uh, Sheraton pipes. They are all small standard English-shaped pipes, your billiards, uh, your uh, uh, pots, uh, and, you know, such as that, all the, you know, the seven standard shapes, a couple of bulldogs, and they're all small, let's say the equivalent of a Dunhill Group 3 or so. And um, I took a look, and these are all pre-lane pipes. Uh, if you remember around, uh, if you're aware, around 1963, uh, Herman Lane of Lane Tobacco uh, contacted, as I understand the, the history, contacted the, the Sheridan Pipe Factory and said, I'd like to become the exclusive uh, distributor for your pipes in the United States. And uh, they said, well, okay. And as it turned out, uh, traditionally, they simply made the traditional seven English shapes, just like all the other English carvers. And these were small pipes, because as I understand it, uh, tobacco was always expensive in uh, Great Britain. And uh, so uh, nobody sat there with, you know, putting <laughs> three, four or five grams of tobacco, which is a rather large amount, into a pipe and puffing. They put, you know, smaller amounts and they just sit there and leisurely and properly puff their pipes. But Herman Lane uh, said that, uh, well, you know, tobacco in America is not all that expensive since we grow it here ourselves. And um, he encouraged uh, the Sheraton Carvers to start uh, making larger pipes and apparently using their imagination. And I, you know, I'd, I'd go to uh, shops, I'd go to stores, and I'd see the varying shapes. And um, they're very imaginative, very beautiful, I think. And um, let's see, as I recall, Sheridan originally had, uh, I believe, uh, seven uh, classifications. There was the uh, Belvedere, which was a darker finish, and the grain went in every which way. It's <laughs> what they relate to as a flame grain. But um, these were all very, very you know, beautifully made pipes, and very, very seldom, if ever, did you find even a sand spot. Um, in the briar, you never found fills in a Sheridan. Um, all the briar was, you know, definitely intact, first quality. But you had your, your Belvedere, which I, I've got a number of them. I think they're beautiful. Then you'd go out to Authentic and Perfections. Uh, this was the, the next couple of steps up, and I was never quite sure <laughs> of the differentiation, except uh, that uh, there was a slightly different uh, type of stain. And um, once again, a mixed grain pipe. And from there, you'd go on to a, a Sheridan Special, which was a lighter finish. And um, basically, the grain starts to straighten out a little bit. And, of course, then the price goes up. Then you go to, quite frankly, my favorite. Uh, it's the Distinction. And this is a darker finished pipe, uh, mostly straight grain. Um, just uh, I've got some 
a number of distinctions that are absolutely gorgeous. And uh, they were, by and large, straight green pipes. And the ones with a darker finish, but still the uh, you, you can see the grain through the finish as you're smoking the pipe. Then from the distinction, you uh, go uh, to uh, the uh, executive, and um, which is, I think, Perhaps their their greatest range. You know, most of their pipes were executives, and uh, these are but once again lighter finish. Uh, by and large, uh, very uh, very uh, straight grain pipes. And uh, from the executive, you go to the selected, which is once again a lighter finish because your lighter finishes tends to show off the grain better than a dark finish. And so when you're getting into straight grains. Uh, they're going to use a lighter finish because, once again, what you're paying for is the straight grain, is the perfection of the grain in the pipe. So you've got your selected, which is a light finish, uh, generally a very, very perfect straight grain. And then you go to your supreme, which is obviously the nomenclature means it is the supreme pipe. It's their, It was their highest grade. There's a couple of others, but in any case, the supreme light finish, generally a perfect straight grain. I've got one coronation. This was the <laughs> next step up. They didn't make too many of them, and I was lucky enough to find this. This is a perfect 360 pencil grain. What this means is that the grain starts from the base of the pipe, goes totally perpendicular up the side of the pipe, which is why they call it a straight grain. And you've got a perfect ring, 360 degrees around the bowl. No gaps, no uh, diffusions. It's all perfect straight grain. A ubichon, which is the the name for the piece of briar, the hunk of briar that a carver will take in hand and start making a pipe out of. Um, basically, supposedly one out of ten thousand pieces of wood is a perfect straight grain, gives you the ability to carve it into a perfect straight grain. So these pipes were extremely pricey, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they still are. And once again, and they still are when you can find them exactly. I've got one coronation, which um, basically I'll hold on to for as many years as I have left, and uh, may even be uh, buried with it, but um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, perhaps I should allow my wife to pass it on to some other collector. But the point being, once again, it's just absolutely magnificent. And uh, this is pretty much the way uh, Sheridan did things. Other pipe makers uh, do basically the same thing. They have various classifications and various price ranges, starting from their, their basic price range. And then going up, I guess, you know, the fancier the pipe, the bigger the pipe, uh, the um, more artistry that goes into it, uh, the uh, higher the nomenclature, and, of course, the higher the price. But it was the imagination uh, that the Sheridan Carvers, uh, I feel, that they exhibited um, that really hooked me on these pipes. And, of course, once again, the briar was always perfect, and they're just always wonderful smoking pipes. And, of course, so are Dunhills. Uh, that's another conversation. That's another brand, another uh, way it's done. But in any case, I like English pipes. I also like Danish and American pipes. I've got a number of Savinelli's. <laughs> You know, a good pipe is a good pipe, regardless of who made it. And with, with Sheraton, uh, you will find some pipes that are undergraded and some pipes that are you might look at and go they're kind of overgraded. So don't don't turn a don't turn a, a blind eye to one if you're looking for it and you just don't like the uh, the grading that they have on it. 
Well, yeah, that's that's true. Once again, you know, every pipe is uh, individual, and um, yes, actually, uh, it's it's interesting. And once again, this goes back to you know traditional stories, true or not, uh, but that um, basically the factory, uh, based on orders or whatever. And once again, this is this is the legend. I really can't uh, <laughs> sit here and say this is exactly the way they did things, but supposedly uh, they would have. Well, you know, we we've got a we've got an order for. Or, you know, 15 Supremes today and 25 uh, executives. And so the pipes would come from the carvers and there'd be the grader who would sit there and put the final stampings on the pipe. And uh, the story goes, just like the four-pint lunch, and then they come back and get imaginative, uh, that, uh, well, okay, I need uh, 15 uh, Supremes. Okay, this one, this one, and this one, (laughs) supposedly. uh, uh, And and then if there were basically 18 or 19 pipes that would qualify as a Supreme, um, then supposedly, well, I've got the 15 I need. Okay, I'll make this one an executive. I'll make this one a special. Um, I've got the various lower grades as it were, but below Supreme that, quite frankly, I feel were undergraded and could have easily been um, higher than what they are. Uh, Because, once again, this was, as I understand it, purely the discretion of the the grader, the last person in the uh, production line, if you want to call it that, uh, who put the final stampings and designated uh, the uh, the grade of the pipe. And, uh, as I say, there may very well be some objectivity uh, in there or some, uh, you know, personal preferences. But, uh, yeah, Sheridan's can uh, be um, frequently, in my opinion, undergraded, on rare occasion overgraded, but um, I've only perhaps seen two or three pipes in my career with uh, pipes that I felt uh, should have been of a lower classification. But, hey, as far as I'm concerned, they're all nice, and you like it, you can afford it, you buy it. In about five minutes... Can you tell us about your uh, your other collection? Because I've been to your house and you walk in and there's <laughs> it's a normal house and then there's you go downstairs. Then you go downstairs and there are all kinds of medieval weapons of destruction and terror, and some are more modern. But uh, you also have a bit of a passion for collecting swords, knives. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, once again, I fell in with evil companions, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but these uh, these guys weren't pipe smokers. Um, there's um, uh, various clubs in the area that are into military history, and um, we we used to have military shows just like we have pipe shows. But unfortunately, there's only one in the Chicago area. There used to be several. Uh, and um, I haven't uh, been to that one in years. Um, the point being is that there used to be a market for swords and other military, basically uh, body armor, and I'm, I'm not being facetious here. Um, there are things that uh, guys I know have that could very well qualify to be in museums. And I happen to have three walls full of, well, basically portions of the walls, um, with uh, basically, let's see, one 18th century and some 19th and 20th century swords. These are real swords that were issued to real soldiers, and uh, some were just carried on parade, but most of them were actually carried in battle and were used on other people. 
but uh, as I say, I would go to shows, and you know, basically, America has been engaged in two major wars: World War One and Two, and uh, then, of course, there was the Civil War. Uh, but uh, and I've got uh, some of those swords too. But the point is, is that uh, you know the guy comes home from uh, either Japan or Germany or Italy, and um, he brings back a sword with him because basically, even in World War II, military officers carried swords, and uh, in uh, in the Japanese army, all the officers, it was tradition, you had to have a sword. And it was either a uh, a family blade that had been in the family for hundreds of years and was passed down from generation to generation, or if it was the modern Japanese army and you weren't a member of the samurai, uh, but you were an officer, so you had a machine-made sword, still what they call a katana. It's the full-size Japanese sword, and you've seen them in movies if you've seen Last Samurai. <laughs> <laughs> they They flash those around all over the place. But I was lucky enough, um, basically a number of years ago, to go to these shows, and as I say, guys bring back swords from the war, they bring them back for Europe, or they've been in the family for a number of years, or people go to Europe, and you walk into an antique store, and once again, somebody's family sword, you know, they needed the money, they sold it, and you can buy it and bring it home. So I've got a number of uh, Japanese and uh, European swords uh, from, once again, the um, basically the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, centuries. And uh, I've also got a genuine British bearskin cap that the um, the Royal Guards regiments wear. You've seen those on when they when they do Trooping the Color, and you've seen them you know, in various movies and travelogues uh, in front of Windsor Palace, standing on guard, and uh, made out of um, North American black bear pelts that they take from Canada. And I've got one of those on the um, uh, hearth next to my fireplace. So late at night, you get your pipe out, <laughs> you put your you, you put the hat on, and you grab a sword and play. And go running through the house, exactly waving it. No, not exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, the uh, the bearskin doesn't fit. Uh, so I guess the original soldier had soldier had a very very small head. But it is authentic. <laughs> it was made in London, um, and it was made for service. But it doesn't fit me. In any case, um, on occasion. When I'll sit down and watch one of my favorite movies like Waterloo with Rod Steiger, uh, you know, Napoleon, and or basically various other, or, you know, The, the, the Last Samurai, I will <laughs> take the appropriate sword down from the wall and just sort of sit there. And I, I got carried away one day and started waving it, and we're in the family room downstairs, and the ceiling is not quite as high as the rest of the house. And I scratched the ceiling with the sword. My wife gave me a look that, you know, do that again. <laughs> And you'll never live to do it a third time. And so I just, you know, kept my enthusiasm down. And uh, <laughs> so I don't leave the sword around too much anymore, but uh, I'll keep it in my lap. And I'll just, it, it sounds a little goofy, but what the heck, I don't care. <laughs> I, I like to sit there with the appropriate sword in hand watching the historical drama. And I, I just get a kick out of it. Tell, tell Sue, Sue it's a good thing you haven't gotten into Game of Thrones. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, we have, 
Um, we're uh, waiting to uh, get a hold of, I think it's season seven. Um, I think, I don't know if they've put that on the DVD yet. Uh, but uh, in any case, um, that's a fantastic uh, uh, series. <laughs> um, I think there's a video game. We, we, we don't do that. But the actual, um, uh, the, 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 the movies themselves, the serial themselves, I think are quite fascinating. It's, it's definitely a fantasy medieval uh, world. And, you know, they're running around with swords and they're doing this, that, and the other. There's the wizardry and there's the dragons. Dragons are always fun. <laughs> and vis a vis Lord of the Rings. And, uh, but, um, you know, it, it all ties in with, um, uh, shall we say, a, 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 a military tradition, a European military tradition. And, um, like I say, if you're, um, I, I, I'm, I'm an avid reader of history, I've got books up one side, down the other about um, European, American, Asian history, but uh, the unfortunately, as it were, the history of mankind is the history of warfare. Um, you take a look at any period in history within a 30 or 40 year period, there's been a major war going on somewhere. And um, it's quite frankly, it's not all that different today, except uh, with uh, the, um, <clears throat> the advancements we've made in warfare, one more real war, and we're done. So perhaps that's what's kept um, uh, mankind sort of, you know, from from going to World War Three. If we only all smoked a pipe, then we'd just be relaxed and be able to talk it through. Precisely. But, uh, Precisely. Sit down, light up, pour everybody at the table a drink, and let's talk about who owns this land, who wants that land, let's compromise, but that's not what we do, unfortunately. But if we did, definitely pipes would be a major influence on rationality. And we could trade an island for a Sheraton Supreme. But, uh, Paul, with that, we will uh, wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Uh, I'm uh, sitting here ready to go. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a Sheraton. It's a Sheraton, and it, it's 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 the one that um, uh, Barry Jones had pointed to. Um, I picked this up at the Updown Shop uh, back in uh, it was 1978. 1977, I was seriously underemployed, and but a friend of mine told me about the pipe shop, and I walked in, and once again, I've been a patron there ever since. And I had already you know known about Sheratons, and there was this gorgeous large. Danish style freehand uh, that uh, the uh, lady had in stock, and it was absolutely magnificent. And um, I didn't have the money for it, um, but she let me put it on layaway, uh, twenty bucks down and twenty bucks uh, whenever I came in the shop. So basically, it's the last twenty dollars. I've got it on the layaway for months. It's the last twenty bucks. It's a um, uh, a weekday night. It's raining. It's miserable. But I get in the car and I drive uh, into uh, the uh, into Old Town and um, walk in the shop. It's a miserable evening. It's like I say, there's nobody on the street and water is pouring over my off my hat. And I walk into the shop and Diane is there. God bless her. And I take out this soggy twenty dollar bill and I said I finally got the last twenty bucks to get the uh, get my pipe. 
and she smiled and she gave me the pipe and she gave me a very nice ceramic pipe stand as a gift to go with it. And once again, it's a gorgeous pipe. And once again, the memories of um, how I got it and who I got it from, uh, it just, uh, it, it is my favorite pipe for that reason. What is your favorite tobacco? Favorite tobacco, although there are many other good tobaccos, many other good tobaccos, um, is the um, the various Frog Morton blends uh, that uh, McClellan has put out, and um, they're mostly not mostly, but they're also they they have small but significant amounts of Syrian Latakia in them. So I like the Frog Mortons. Uh, there is also I need to mention um, a um, English company uh, that uh, it's called Esoterica. And they have a, uh, a flake. It's a pressed tobacco rather than the shag cut, uh, what you see when you open a can and uh, there's all this loose tobacco in there. That's a shag cut. This is the pressed cakes. And you have to sort of roll them out in your fingers to break them down to put them into the pipe. It's a pressed uh, cake tobacco, and it's called Penzance. <laughs> I like the yeah. Pirates of from Gilbert and Sullivan. And um, that's also was... Uh, made with um, uh, Syrian Latakia, and that's a very heavy, um, what they call an oriental blend, and at least that's what I call it, and it's very flavorful, very tasty, and it's definitely an acquired taste. Um, not everybody is uh, fond of it that I've talked to, but I seem to like it. And uh, once again, for as long as they still have the uh, Syrian Latakia in stock, it'll continue to be also one of my favorites. But there's, once again, the, the uh, Frog Morton from McClellan, various other ones that McClellan puts out, um, just uh, wonderful tobaccos. And uh, then, of course, there's uh, Esoterica and their Penzance, and there's other good stuff that they make, too. But shall we say those are my two favorites? What is your favorite drink? Cognac. And we'll leave it at that because there's a whole nother <laughs> there's a whole nother layer of stuff to get into. Uh, um, there's also some very very good bourbon that I like, but uh, once again, I do have a fondness fondness for a French brandy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Quite frankly, all three. Uh, <laughs> very very good question. Um, generally in the evening, uh, after the events of the day, uh, the wife and I will sit down in front of uh, the TV set and uh, we'll watch uh, one or more of our favorite shows. And at that point, I'll light up a pipe and uh, pour myself a couple of fingers, either of you know whatever particular beverage. Uh, I'm also into scotch and Irish whiskey. But uh, the point being, whatever strikes my fancy, I'll pour myself uh, some. I'll just, you know, I, it takes me about a half an hour to decide what pipe I'm going to smoke. <laughs> I've got a number of them. and But I'll, I'll bring the pipe downstairs and, you know, fill it up, sit down with a drink, and then you'll watch a couple of hours of TV and uh, then uh, call it a night. Otherwise, uh, during the day, I'll um, basically, we've got a sunroom outside. I'll um, go out there and light up a cigar. Because uh, one thing, uh, you, you, you smoke a pipe in the house, the next day it's gone. You smoke a cigar in the house, the next week it's still there. It's just something about cigar tobacco that it does not dissipate uh, quickly. And I can understand women not wanting their husbands to smoke a cigar in the house. So I get outside. Uh, but a pipe I do smoke in the house. But I'll sit and either read a book or listen to music, once again with a beverage, 
<laughs> and uh, smoke a, a cigar or a pipe uh, there uh, also. But uh, generally, it's it's a pipe and uh, a, a libation uh, during the evening. Do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we have not talked about? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. Um, some years back, I uh, went uh, to a uh, house sale um, in uh, one of the uh, North Shore suburbs of Chicago, uh, higher end uh, neighborhoods. Uh, and um, they were, you know, I guess maybe the family was moving or somebody died, and they're selling out all the uh, housewares. So I go to this house sale, and there's all this, you know, fancy uh, silverware and uh, crystal. And okay, fine, I'm not looking for that. There is one pipe sitting on the mantel it's a sheraton supreme <laughs> full bent billiard saddle stem in any case and gorgeous piece except it's got this big red stain on the front of the bowl and they want uh, the, the, the people there want 25 bucks for the pipe and it's pre-smoked and it's got this big stain on it and okay for 25 bucks i take a chance i buy it I give it to one of the guys in the club who refinishes pipes. I pay him $10. He refinishes the pipe. There's no trace of the stain. Now I've got a perfect Sheraton Supreme that I've got $35 into. <laughs> Not price matters. The pipe, even at that point, this is like 15, 20 years ago, it's worth uh, over 300 bucks on the market at that time. So anyway, I go to our show couple months later, and that's when it was uh, at a Holiday Inn out in, uh, in Harvey, Illinois, a far southern suburb. Now, uh, St. Charles at Pheasant Run, very nice uh, place, but we outgrew a number of uh, venues uh, to the point where we went to uh, Pheasant Run because they had the expo center that allows us uh, to uh, put over 300 exhibitor tables at the show. In any case, so I'm walking through the buy-sell swap. That's the Friday night, uh, the Friday afternoon uh, um, uh, activity uh, where anybody can get a little space for free. You don't have to buy a table, and you can sit there and um, sell tobacco pipes, any tobacco pipe-related objects that you want. And people come in, and there's no cost to get into to that event and uh, like that. So I'm walking through the buy-sell swap. And there's a fellow sitting there with about a dozen Sheratons um, on this little table in front of him. And um, I'm looking, gee, they're nice, and there's no prices on them. So I said, uh, gee, you know, how much you want for uh, some of these pipes? And he said, I'm not looking to sell, I'm looking to trade. I'm only into full bents or bent pipes. I'm getting rid of all my straight pipes. So basically, unless you got something to trade, don't bother me. I said, don't go away. I go racing out of the room to the elevator up to my room because I've got the Supreme there. And I grab it. I take it downstairs. I walk up to the guy, and it's in a pipe sleeve and just sort of like a stripper taking off one glove at a time. <laughs> I'm just slowly taking the pipe out of the uh, pipe sleeve, and the guy is looking and looking, and then the sleeve falls away. There's the pipe in all of its beauty. His eyes go wide. He grabs it out of my hand, clutches it to his chest, and starts pointing to the table. Here, here, take any two. Take any two you want. <laughs> so... I got myself a, a distinction and an executive to 
two beautiful pipes straight, but once again, that's fine for me, two beautiful pipes. He had this full bent Supreme, and uh, dollar-wise, we, we, we pretty much came out even. Um, I don't know how much he had invested in those pipes. He didn't care that I only had 35 bucks in this pipe. It was, once again, what it was. He was happy. I was happy. And uh, just, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's one of many, many, many memories uh, in the hobby uh, that uh, I recall. And uh, it just that, that's what just came to mind when you asked. Paul, thank you very much for joining us, and even more, thank you for all you've done for the Chicago Pipe Club, the Chicago Pipe Show, and you know, putting on your your hard work is the reason why we all look forward to uh, the first weekend in May every year. So, thank you. Thank for you me. so much, and and once again, you know, thank you for letting me on your show. I just want to say that um, all the years uh, that I've uh, known you. Um, you've been uh, very, very uh, pleasant uh, to uh, deal with. Uh, you're, uh, you're a nice guy, and as long as you continue to keep your hands off my wife, we're good. Well, in that case, uh, <laughs> thanks for, <laughs> thanks again, and uh, uh, it's been nice knowing you, right? Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> hey, buddy, take care and be well. I'll, I look forward to seeing you at uh, in Vegas in November. And we'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back. Uh, Kevin is now giggling about pipe delivery methods. And uh, if you ever do get a chance to run into Paul Bender at a, at a pipe show or if you're at one of the uh, Chicago club meetings, do pick his brain. He's got just a vast knowledge of pipes way beyond Sheraton. Um, all right, for music. Uh, so I got an email, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, but it's uh, Stefan Siegel or Siegel. Uh, and he says, hi, I listened to your anniversary episode where you talked about music and how it was hard to find new music by pipe smokers. Well, here you have a pipe smoking musician, singer, and songwriter. Uh, I'd be happy to have my music played in your show if you need something new. I even made some YouTube videos where I sang with a pipe. Uh, he goes on to say, anyway, I'm a 38, I'm 38 and Swedish and have written rock pop for my band Monroe, M-O-N, second word, R-O-E, uh, we've even had our music represented in American-Canadian TV and have also written exclusively for an American web spy series. So he sent me uh, links to a couple of songs on uh, SoundCloud, and you can go to soundcloud.com backslash S-T-A-F-F-A-N 
A-N-D-E-R-S-S-O-N, Stefan Anderson. And uh, he's got some great stuff. So here's one called Caroline Sweet Caroline. YouTube channel to see Stefan is uh, pipe underscore saint. P-I-P-E underscore saint. You've got mail. 
a quick little mailbag from Casey Ghost. Very good show. Your explanation of tins versus bulk was very good. Should be a great help to those who want to try the bulk stuff. Mutton Chop was a nice interview. It was interesting to hear him describe his smoking technique. I actually tried it and felt it was a reasonable alternative to my normal method. I never looked him up on YouTube, but I may have to one of these days. I was surprised that you would play something by a guy on a mountain dulcimer. His play was proficient, and the tune was enjoyable. Why didn't you do this with Neil Archer Roan? <laughs> well, Neil's a classical guitar player. Uh, and then uh, Dino says, Very warm, informative, and entertaining conversation with Mutton Chop. The dulcimer tune was nicely done. Your guest is certainly multi-talented. Thanks yet for another satisfyingly fun show, Dino. You are welcome, and uh, got any comments or questions, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page at PipesMagazine.com or email me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. If you don't hear from me in uh, three or four days, send that email again. It might have got caught in the spam filter. All right, rant time coming up next. Cowboy. Cowboy. It is rant time and we are running long, so I'll make this as fast as I can be. Young people, if you work with the public, if you work with the public, slow down and slow down when you're talking and look them in the eyes. Yes, slow down when you are talking and look them in the eyes, especially if you are in the working with the public, whether it be on the phone or in person. Wait for them to answer a question. Slow down and look them in the eyes when you are dealing with them. I've noticed lately a rash of younger folks, and when I mean younger, I mean, you know, in your 20s and younger, that seem to want to talk as absolutely fast as possible and then not look you in the eye and wait for the answer. No, they want to keep talking just as fast as they can be and get and rattle stuff off. And especially if you're in a situation where you're not completely familiar with everything, say like a restaurant that's relatively new to you, you know, I can go in and order at our favorite restaurants. I can go in and order just as lightning quick as possible. I know exactly how I like my tacos. Soft wheat, chicken loaded, chips unsweet, done, boom, get out. But if I'm in a place where I'm brand new to it and I don't know all the options, slow down and let me answer one question at a time and when you're talking to me when you're talking to me don't be afraid of me i'm not going to bite you just look look me in the eyes and you will see when i'm answering a question i think so many young people right now are so used to just texting and tweeting and tapping on their little phones that they don't really understand how to interact with humans and they don't really understand how to read a human or do that so they just wait for you to beat back at them well young people you know what these are humans that you're dealing with in these uh service sector or customer service jobs and you've got to learn how to communicate with people slow down and look them in the eyes that'll help you dramatically all right that was a uh, long episode but it was either chop it up into two episodes or condense it down into one and i went with one because i thought it was more concise hope you all enjoyed it uh Comments, questions, again, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Ratings or reviews on iTunes are greatly appreciated. We'll read some of those next week, I promise. And with that, thank you to Paul Bender for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Party.
Jira, Bomba 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 Jira, 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 the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Routine that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.